By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. Welcome back to another phenomenal episode of Let's Be Honest. All the things. All the times. And uh, what an amazing episode we have for you today because yeah, we have a exciting. fantastic guest. Um, Sarah's going to introduce our guest because yeah. Sarah has more of a history with this yeah. awesome human being. So take it away. Right on. We Sarah. have... Kristen Zeman with us today. Um, she is well became the first female lieutenant commander and police chief in the history of the police service she worked for, which is the Aurora Police Department in, in Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. Um, she also has a book out that came out in 2022 called Reimagining Blue. And she also has a podcast called Hollow Bunny Leadership Podcast, which she co-hosts with a fellow retired chief, uh, Sylvia Moyer. Yeah. Fantastic. We're super happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. I'm so so happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'm so glad that Sarah said you had a podcast because, you know, with my three hour commute every day, I'm like, I'm always looking for, for things to uh, re-engage in. So this is great. I'm, I'm super excited and it's now on my Spotify list. Oh, wonderful. And our podcast is kind of a dumpster fire. Like we just, you know, kind of make it up as we go along. And then it had to turn explicit because uh, my co-host likes to drop the the F-bombs a lot. So, you know, you can expect that from it. Um, So uh, we first heard you um, in a different context. We we heard you do a public speaking engagement um, about pride and uh, I, I mean, I have so many questions. This could probably be a 10 part episode <laughs> um, because what you bring to the table is so fascinating. A, you knew from a very young age that you wanted to be a cop. Like there was this pull, this magnetic pull to this profession. Uh, and, you know, that's that's huge for a woman for anyone to enter that field you know because it it comes with so much um so much legacy of of pain so why why this profession as at a young age what was the draw for you my dad so my dad was a cop in the same department and i'm an only child so he wanted a son and he got me and so he pretty much raised me i you know as if you know at, you know and now we're looking at you know gender roles and you know there there shouldn't be any separation between you know raising a child in one particular way but my dad was like you know is is i was his little buddy and he would take me with him 
to the police station and I saw how much he loved the job, but that's not quite what did it for me. What did it for me was the idea that it started to, I started to figure out at about age 10 that uh, when I was with my dad off duty, several things happened where he would say, stay in the car, don't move. And he would get out of the car and he would go tend to someone who had just been in a car accident. And he would, he'll be grabbing people out of the car and helping them. And what I took note of was other cars just whizzing by. They would stop to look, but they would just keep going. And then the same thing happened again. My dad wrestled some keys from a drunk driver who had just smashed into a toll booth. And I remember thinking the same thing. Like, why is everyone else just keeping, you know, they're just, they just keep moving. And my dad keeps getting out. And I was like, oh, that's what first responders do. You know, they show up and they, you know, they tend to things that other people don't. And it was in that moment that I thought, oh man, I, I want to do that. I just want to help people. So that's what happened at a young age. And I just, I have always wanted to do that for as long as I can remember. Mm, that's amazing. And uh, I, so I'd love to talk a little bit about you know, this idea of uh, perspective, like from a, from a female going into a male dominated world, I think when we, you know, uh, from a theater director's point of view, I felt like I could change the world. I could be that woman that was just going to make everything better for the women behind me. And then when I got in, my perspective started to shift and mm -hmm. I, I started to set different expectations for myself. And I wonder if, if you felt the same way. Yeah, well, a few things. Number one, going into my police department uh, at the tender age of 17 when I became a cadet, I never once believed or thought, it never occurred to me that I would move up in rank. I just wanted to be a police officer. That was it. That was the pinnacle for me because I didn't see other females in rank. And so when you talk about that perspective is that you don't know what you don't know. And that's why now we understand how much visibility matters to see someone in a position, you know, that you aspire to be. So I didn't have that. And so it wasn't until um, I had to become my own disruptor where, you know, when I became a sergeant, there were other females, but then I, I had that little voice inside my head after that, that said, oh, you can't become a lieutenant. There's never been a female lieutenant. You know, you know why, why do you think that you could even um, pursue that goal? And then something snapped inside my own head and I went, wait a minute. Why not me? You know, I started looking at all the people that I answered to and I thought I could be, I could be that, I, you know, I could do that job. And so that's what it takes since I didn't have someone to emulate. I had to be that voice inside my head, my own disruptor to say, okay, I can do this. And so let me tell you though, there were, as we all know that we have mentors along the way and God bless those mentors, but we also have tormentors. And I had some tormentors that tried to keep me down. And, you know, there's a, a story of a commander that told me you will never become a Lieutenant in this police department. If I have anything to say about it. And I used his words uh, as fuel. And, you know, I studied for that test harder than I'd studied for anything else in my life just to prove him wrong and became the first female lieutenant. So I think in those situations, when you that perspective tells you, you know, you can't do something that you, you've just got to be your own disruptor. I love that. Yeah. I great. love that being your own disruptor. Mm. Um, did you feel like you had to play? 
a man's game? Like when you first started going up in the rank, did you feel like you had to be different, uh, embody a different version of yourself to make sure that people listened, uh, conversed with you, respected you? Yeah, when you say that, it's, you know, you put it very articulately. And what it actually what actually happened is I lost myself trying to fit in. That started the minute I walked in the door of that police department. I wanted to just be one of the guys. And that's when I tried to stifle my personality, which is pretty big. I have a pretty big personality. And I just took on the persona of what I thought I was supposed to be by emulating those around me. And we all do that. We, you know, we try to fit in. We don't want to stand out too much. So that's been my remedial lesson throughout my entire career is, is trying to overcome that idea of fitting in. So I did that when I was a patrol officer, I put on those mirrored sunglasses and attitude that uh, a lot of cops have and that machismo kind of thing. I talked down to people. I borrowed power from my position because that's what I saw. That's what I observed. And I thought, okay, I just have to alter my personality. So then I you know, finally came to and realized, okay, this is exhausting trying to wear this mask, you know, versus this mask of who I am and trying to remember, uh, you know, who to be based on where I was. And then I got promoted and I, well, I, I should say, I figured it out. I finally dropped the mask when I was a patrol officer, but then I became a sergeant and then I put the mask right back on because people said to me, this is how a supervisor acts. You have to act like, a, you know, this certain way. And I was like, oh God, okay. <sighs> Insert mask again. And so it's just, it's, it's been my remedial lesson throughout my life. So I finally got to the point when I was, when I became a Lieutenant where I finally, did the thing, you know, the talk with myself, as I often do. And I said, this is, this is BS. I'm just going to shed the mask and I'm going to be exactly who I am. And, you know, but I have to try to remind myself to do that. That's where I find myself falling into the pitfall, you know, of, of trying to fit in and instead of belonging, which is a very different thing, right? Fitting in is, is changing who you are in order to be accepted and belonging is being exactly who you are and, you know, and, and, and belonging, you know, and so I've had to, that perception is what I've had to change. I love mm -hmm. that. I love that. I, 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 in my practice, I talk a lot about the difference between fitting in and belonging and the strength of conviction it takes to be your authentic self. Um, oh. do, you, do you have like, like in, in, a, in a male dominated career path, how did you, were there steps that you took to find that authenticity um, where there were like things where you're like, God, I'm, I can't be this version of myself anymore. I have to stop this performativity. Right. Yeah, of course. And you know, it got, it got to be exhausting and that's what happens when, you know, it's trite, right. We always hear be your authentic self. And it's, it's just, it's such, it's a trite statement to make. And yet, honestly, it's the secret sauce of everything is, you know, is instead of trying to adapt to, you know, where you are being who you are, you know, and I've had to grapple with this, not only, you know, in my police life, but then also coming out, I came out, you know, when I was 30, you know, and so I was grappling with that authenticity every place in my life. And so I, I, think that it just becomes exhausting. So how do you do it? You finally just get tired. 
you just get tired of putting on this facade for everyone. And, you know, here's the thing, especially in policing, you know, I am not your traditional, you know, police officer. People look at me and they don't think, oh, she's a cop. You know, I mean, when I tell them, they they're like, what? You're a cop, you know? And so I don't fit the stereotype of that. So I've had to grapple with that. And that's, I think, part of the reason why I tried to behave so differently than myself, which is to try to fit in and become that stereotype. Right. You know, but, but to answer your question, I just finally got tired. I finally got exhausted of trying to remember who to be based on where I was. And I finally just said, this is BS. I'm going to try just to show up exactly as myself. And that meant also, you know, being a little unorthodox in policing, showing compassion, God forbid, vulnerability, you know, and, and then I started realizing that the more I was of me, the better cop I became, the more I connected with people on the street, you know, and then the better supervisor I became. And I was like, wait a minute, this actually works, you know? And so I think once we get into that, it's, it's a journey though of getting there and it's freaking hard. Speaking on things that are hard, we have to take a break. We're at that time. So we will be back with more Let's Be Honest. All the things. All the times. Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. And we're back. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, and welcome back, Kristen. Yeah. Well, you have this, you have this amazing story about being on the road um, at, at an early age and apprehending um, someone. Can you go into that story? Because it's about how conversation can be the catalyst for change. Yeah, that was the incident that happened that caused me to drop the mask. And it was a simple traffic stop. I was watching a stop sign and it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Everybody was blowing the stop sign and I was writing tickets and this guy rolls through the stop sign and I pull him over and I walk up to his car and I say, can I see your driver's license, proof of insurance? And uh, I grab his license, go back to my car. I run him on the mobile data computer and the computer starts buzzing at me. He was uh, wanted on two warrants. He came back armed and dangerous with an alert that, you know, fights with police. So I'm like, okay, game on. So I called for backup and, you know, it's pretty routine as I'm doing air quotes because nothing is ever routine, but it's pretty routine, you know, and I'm calling for backup and, you know, I'm, my plan is that I'm, we're going to just place him into custody, you know, take care of the warrants. And no sooner do I call for backup that I see him bail out of his car. So he is running away. I call in a foot pursuit and I just take off after him. And I am five foot four, you know, uh, uh, at that time, 100 pounds, 120 pounds soaking wet. And this guy is huge. 
huge. And every time I tell the story, he gets bigger and he's like running this. and I, 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 I devise a plan and the plan is simple. I'm going to, I'm going to close the gap. I was pretty fast. I'm going to close the gap. I'm going to jump onto this guy. I'm going to grab him and I'm going to place him into handcuffs. And that's a really great plan, except that it didn't work out that way because I jumped on the guy and, you know, grabbed my arms around him and he didn't fall. He didn't even stumble. Uh, what's curious is that he continued to run and I didn't let go of him. So in your mind's eye, if you can picture a, like a, a large man with a baby cop just riding his back, that's exactly what it looked like. I was like a little backpack with my ponytail and I doubled down like across his barrel chest. I just doubled down on him and we just continued to run. I don't know where we were going together, but we were going and I had this moment of sheer panic where I thought, oh my God, I'm gonna die. Cause we were now in the backyards. He had taken me on this foot chase into the backyards and I, I don't know where I am. So I can't even tell my comrades you know, to come help me. And so uh, I, I just start talking to him. I just start blurting things out. And the first thing I remember blurting out was, dude, I know you can kill me, but, but you won't, you won't cause you won't get any street cred if you beat up a baby cop or, you know, and I just start blurting things out. And it was like a moment of survival. But as I'm blurting things out, I tell him, you know, I, I know you can hurt me. And listen, let's just take care of the warrants because it was inevitable that they're going to catch up with you. And let's just call it a day. I won't charge you with fleeing. And I just start talking to the guy and he stops abruptly. He stops and I slide down his back and <laughs> I placed him into custody. He literally just puts his hands behind his back. I grab my handcuffs and I go to grab my radio to tell, I can hear the sirens and they're looking for me. I go to grab my radio to tell them I'm okay. My radio is gone. So this guy, if you can picture this large man, he said, I think you dropped your radio back there. And he's leading me in handcuffs uh, to my own radio. And I, I, he shows me where I dropped it. I pick it up. And I, you know, I call it in that I'm okay. And we start walking and we start talking. And I, I said, dude, I, I've got to ask you, why did you stop? You know, you could have easily you know, just, you know, beat the crap out of me and took off. Right. And he said, I don't know. He's like, I, I don't know. It was just, you talk to me. Like nobody's ever talked to me before. No cop has ever just, just had a conversation with me. And I was like, oh, oh really? Like, that's it. We just talking to people. Wow. But I understood what he was trying to say in that moment is that no cop has ever treated him with human dignity and respect. And it came from a place of sheer terror, but it also, it's like I tapped into that vulnerability. Like you can kill me, there's no doubt about it. And after that moment, I started watching the great cops, the cops that took people into custody without any incident. And I noticed that they would talk to people and not down on them. They didn't borrow mm. power from their position. They were not power over, they were power with. And I thought, oh my God, that's it. What a concept, treating people with human dignity and respect. And so I took that as a lesson and my whole career changed. And that's what I adopted. I became a better cop. And then when I became a supervisor, I applied that to my people as well, because I saw supervisors talking down to subordinates. And I thought I will never lead like that. So that one incident just changed the way I policed and the way that I led later in my career. Wow. I think that that shift 
is evident. I, I went down a little rabbit hole this morning and I watched your 1042. And I was sitting here crying watching it because the your department and the amount of respect uh, they have for you, had and have for you and the legacy that you left there um, resonated. And I was like, oh, this is a person who understands humans. Mm-hmm. And it, it really, it resonated. I was literally with my first mm-hmm. cup of coffee sitting here bawling, going, wow, th- what a moment um, of recognition. What was that? What was it like? It must have been like, Ooh. I mean, like those, all the feels just like came to me. So, you know, it, it's, here's, here's the, the thing that I am most proud of. First of all, that department is fantastic. The people in it are fantastic. The, the thing that I am most proud of that I tried to bring to my department was to allow people to be themselves. I said, you know, once I figured out that lesson, every, you know, academy class that came in, every new cop, I sat down with each of them and said this, listen, we dress alike, you know, we're paramilitary organization, but you need to bring every part of you that's you to this department. You know, I don't care who you love and who you worship. You know, I don't care what color you are, what your you know nationality is, you know, all of the things, but just bring it because that is going to make you better at this job. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the one thing that I'm proud of. So it was never about, you know, it, it was about elevating the best of them mm-hmm. and allowing them to, to perform the job of a police officer while bringing their full selves to work. And that is the thing that I'm most proud of in that department. And um, they gave me far more than I gave them in that department. But that moment was a moment of, of, of a surrealness for me. Um, you know, just that final 1042 and, you know, and sitting in that squad car and, you know, that moment I will never forget as long as I live. And I thought, okay, you know what? Um, I, I feel good. Like I felt like I left that police department better than I found it. And I'm so proud of that, but oof, all those, those people, you know, people make up an organization and, you know, yeah. they're the most amazing people. Mm-hmm. I think, I think there's, I'm so glad you said that because I think we forget that, right? I think we're so busy in systems, especially trying to put people in boxes. Like you must be this way to fit the the norm of what we're, you know, our expectation of you. And it and we we started in schools, right? We started as soon as we yeah. put a kid in a classroom, in a desk, in their own little box, and go, you must learn this way. Yeah. Deny we deny they're awesome. We deny their individual, you know, awesome. And, um, I think working in larger systems, especially, you know, systems where, um, you know, there's, there's a potential for violence. There's potential for aggression, um, for, Mm -hmm. for all the things, right. Um, it becomes incredibly hard to, to celebrate each person's individual awesome because you have to be a certain way you have to do it becomes right. really formulaic right yeah so i find it really impressive that you have started to dismantle that and my dog is agreeing with me right now uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not it's not sarah it's <laughs> it's uh our dog mod in the window who's now going she's to gonna bark now. she's gonna bark now because she sees another dog um 
I actually think that Maud is serving as a better alarm clock today because we're at time for this episode. How did that happen? Uh, I know, but we're going to continue talking uh, to Kristen Zeman on our next episode yes. because um, this has been amazing and illuminating and a crucial conversation. Absolutely. Um, today, Sarah is what? CNOY walking. Coldest night of the year is today down at the Lions Pavilion in Gravenhurst. Um, if you at have 4 not, p.m. That's right, at 4 p.m. If you have not signed up, it's not too late. You can sign up at the pavilion even. And you can walk. You can yeah. get your steps in. You can raise funds for this amazing community. Mm -hmm. um, Gravenhurst Against Poverty once again does amazing work. Um, and Sarah has been co-chair for the last, this is your second year. Yes. James Curry. I am extraordinarily proud of all she does for the community. Wow. And, um, her and I had the most amazing time. Just want to do a special shout out to the winter carnival committee. Yay. Uh, what an amazing event that, that goes from strength to strength every year. Uh, um, like just, what what an honor to uh, serve as the first annual grand marshal of this event. Yeah. And to hear all of the awesome that people bring um, at our Ignite uh, Gravenhurst session on Thursday night. We do amazing things together, friends. So let's keep it going. Get out, put on those walking shoes, dig out your sticks and shuffle along in the snow. There will be pizza from every pizza vendor in this city. <laughs> So you will have pizza for life because you know how many pizza joints there are in this place. Many, and many, 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 many. Once again, massive thanks to Kristen Zeman for joining us today. We cannot wait for part two of this conversation. Um, and uh, we will see you next time on. Let's be honest. All the things. All the times. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. Bye.